Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Stand with me. Welcome all of you watching online. Don't shut us down. It's going to be a great day, I promise. Something that's going to be said is going to impact your life, I promise. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to 2 Peter, chapter 3, and, uh, and then also uh, Philippians, chapter 2. Um, you know, it's, it's always interesting as a pastor when you start thinking about series and sermons, and you try to think in terms of, okay, what first, what, what is God saying to us as a society, as a people? And uh, that's number one, because to me it's the most important thing. Because there, there are what I call sexy series. Those are series that, you know, 10 ways to become successful, 15 ways to get rich, uh, how to become, you know, all those things. Uh, those are what I call crowd grabbers. And they're good, and those topics need to be preached. But then there are times as a pastor that, that, that you have to, the Bible says, I preach the whole counsel of God. And we're living in an hour when I think that we're, we're asking a lot of questions that maybe have never been asked, or maybe they have and we just haven't answered them. But the number one thing that I see in our country today is, and I think it's the number one killer of living life, the number one killer of enjoying life, the number one killer of fulfilling destiny, and that one thing is fear. The number one killer of mankind is fear. Fear of failure, fear of being criticized, fear of being judged, fear of death. So many fears in life that we are introduced to at a very early age. Now, some fears come as a result of just imagination, playing something out in your mind that that if you did one thing, the response or reaction would be thus and so. And so you, you have that innate fear, something that you, you imagine. Secondly, uh, the thing you might fear the most is, is having experienced something that caused somebody to laugh at you, somebody to judge you, or someone to criticize you. And as a result of that one experience, I hear these words, I will never do that again. I will never speak again. I will never love again. I will never. The list of I nevers goes on and on. And the reason for most of those I never is because of fear. Or maybe you grew up in a home where your parents were very fearful and all they ever talked about was all the bad things that could happen as a result of the decisions that you make. Well, I've got good news for you you're going to fail. All of us do. Uh, and, and you're going to have that, 
that fear of failure that you have to battle the rest of your life. But the reality is that God did not give us a spirit of fear. He didn't give that to us. So we say, well, what is fear? Well, according to the Bible, it's a spirit. Now, if you don't believe in spiritual things, you don't believe in spiritual dynamics, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, what I'm about to say today will make no sense to you whatsoever. But if you believe in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that there is a battle raging in heavenly places between good and evil, and that that battle precedes everything that's happening here on earth. And you notice I said battle, not war. Because you will fight battle after battle after battle, and at the end, the war will be determined by the number of battles won and lost. Not by the war itself. And so, as I began to pray this morning and think through this message, realizing that the reason I'm tying this together, when, I, when you say the end of the world, people just freeze. They're afraid. There's fear. So much of that fear is because of the unknown. Now, think about it this way. The reason God did, wouldn't it have been cool? Let me go back. Wouldn't it have been cool if God said, I'm sending Jesus on February 1st of 2021, so don't worry about it. Everybody going, great. I'm going to raise hell until I don't. Or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I don't think that's the reason God didn't tell us when he's coming back. I think he wanted us to live life by faith and love and grace and mercy and trust and all those things. But it's difficult to do sometimes because our human mind is so strong It's stronger than you think. You're smarter than you think. And so where does fear originate? We know it's a spirit, but does it come through your soul, your emotions, your mind, your will? Or is it logic? Where does it come? Is it coming a thought? Or do you feel something and then begin to think on it? And then is the greatest fear that you and I possess, is it a fear of death or is it a fear of shame? Most people say, well, I'm I'm afraid to die. But then when you talk about it, you think, hold it. What would be worse? If I died, nobody can make fun of me because a dead man doesn't have a response. But if you live and you make a mistake, then you have to deal or address the shame that comes with that mistake because other people will judge because that's what fallen mankind does, which is not right. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you. I love it when people say, I don't lie. I say, everybody in here lies. You just clothe it in something that doesn't look like one. Can you come and help me move? Well, I'm kind of busy. As you sit in your lounge chair watching a sitcom. And you say, well, I am busy. I'm busy doing what I want to do. And you start rationalizing your mind when in reality, you know you should have gotten up and helped. Well, that's not a lie. Yeah, it was. If we really just process the day and ask ourselves how many times throughout the day we answered questions in a way that satisfied our soul but wasn't 100% true. So is a 98% truth still not a lie? I'm in the boat with you, man. I ain't throwing stones. I'm preaching to me too going, okay, let's think about this a minute. 
Second Peter says in chapter 3, verse 1, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, I understand being sensitive and having responses that try to avoid hurting someone. And I think that's important. You don't even have to lie. Sometimes, here's what I'm learning, and, and this is very hard for me and very hard for me to say, is sometimes saying nothing at all is better than responding to something. Just look, what do you have to say about that? I don't. But you must have a, you must have a thought. You must have an emotion. You must, mm-hmm, <laughs> I do. Now, how many of you know that if you put a guard over your mouth, and I thought about this this morning, and said, today, I don't want to say anything that is not positive. I don't want to say one negative thing today. Is that even possible? And when I ask that question, that's negative. (laughs) Is that even possible? Well, sure it is. All things are possible with God, everything. And he says, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Now, most people, when I say that, are going to think about, you're going to be thinking about a wholesome thought is is, is something that you think, you're thinking dirty thoughts, or you're thinking mean thoughts, or you're unkind thoughts, and you're thinking that's wholesome thinking. No, wholesome thinking is not fighting against the negative, but embracing the positive. And most of the time, we think about the things we shouldn't do instead of the things that we should do, or the things that we could do. So I don't want to do those things because that won't satisfy God. Instead of saying, I want to do these things because these things satisfy God. Because of our human nature, we are often living a defensive life. And a defensive life means you're not controlling the ball. Oh, you can still score from defense, interception, fumble, whatever. But the reality is that means that the other team has to make a mistake in order for you to do good. And most people in the world are looking for somebody else to make a mistake so they can find success. I'm just waiting on them to fumble. I'm just waiting on them to throw a bad pass. I'm just waiting on them to jump off sides. I'm just waiting on them. What would happen if we didn't ask ourselves every day, what do I not need to do today that would interfere with what God has for me today? Instead, getting up and saying, what do I need to do today for all the great things of heaven to be released into my life? I need to love. I need to be kind. I need to be forgiving. I need to be respectful. I need to be helpful. I need to turn the other cheek. I need to walk an extra mile. All of these things are things we can do. That's wholesome thinking. God, what does your word say that I can do today? Not not do, but do. Because when we spend all of our time trying to figure out what's not, we, we, we don't need to do, we're not thinking about what we could do, and that's where your success comes. So I am going to talk a little bit about success in a very spiritual fashion. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior, 
through your apostles. First of all, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Isn't that what we keep hearing? And then people say, well, I, I hope I can stop doing this before I die. I hope I can stop doing that before he comes. I hope I can... What if you just start saying, today I'm going to get up and I'm going to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself. I'm going to forgive every person that offends me or attempts to offend me today. I'm going to go out of my way to help other people. I'm going to go out of my way to be kind. What would happen if we started thinking of what we could do instead of what we shouldn't do? But here's the problem. Every day, fear knocks on the door. You might fail. You're going to look stupid if you try that. Well, if you go over and forgive somebody who's hurt you, you're weak. Let me tell you, when you forgive somebody who's wronged you, you're stronger than any moment in your life. You've never been more strong than when you forgive somebody that's still breathing, living, and down the street from you, next door to you, in bed next to you. You have never done anything greater because that was the greatest thing that God did for us. His son so loved us that he gave his life and forgave us of all of our sin. The most powerful, aggressive, offensive thing that we can do, when I say offensive, being intentional, having offense, saying I'm running the ball, is to forgive. But we're afraid that if we forgive, somebody's going to say, well, you shouldn't forgive them. Look at what they've done to you. The Bible doesn't give me the option to look at what they've done to me. The Bible tells me what I'm to do in response to them. I can't change somebody else, but I can change me. And there are tons of churches today filled with people that used to go to ABC Church, and then they moved to DEF Church, and then they moved to HIJK, LMNOP, Christian Center. Story of a man that was stranded on an island, and... You might think of Castaway, where he had to start building his own life. And he was a religious man, so over time, he first thing he did was built him a house to live in so he could cover himself from the weather and the elements and built a great house. And then he built the next building. He felt like he needed to build a church, a place of worship, where he could believe that some, someday somebody would rescue him. So he built a church, so he had a place to sleep, he had a place to worship. And over time, he did other things, built other things. And then finally, one day, it came time, somebody came and saw these shacks on the beach. And they pulled up, and they were shocked when he comes walking out that, you know, he's just, you could tell he had been abandoned there. He'd been uh, stranded there for quite some time. And they had all these questions. How did you make it? How did you eat? What food did you how did, you, how did you catch your fish? How did you get your food? How did you, what, what did you do? How did you survive all this time? Because you've been here a long time. He explained to them. Then they got curious. What, 
what, what's, what's this building right here? He said, well, that's my house. First building I built. I knew I needed to be protected from the elements. Next building to the left of that, he said, oh, that's my church because God's extremely important to me. And he said, well, what's this other building? He said, that's a church also because I got mad at the last one and went to this one. That's what people do. We just find our ways to be offended, keep on trying to move on, to keep from shame and guilt and whatever it might be, and, and trying to live a defense. Well, God, you know, forgive me for that sin. God says, what sin? Because he said the minute you ask him to forgive you, he, it's as gone, it's wiped away, the sea of forgetfulness, it's done. God doesn't even remember. But we keep bringing things up. Why? Because we, by human fallen nature default to negative what would happen if you got up and said every day this is the day the lord has made i'm going to rejoice and be glad in it i am fearfully and wonderfully made i'm the apple of his eye i'm created in the image and likeness of god i'm absolutely awesome you know what you're afraid of that somebody will criticize you let them freaking criticize because I'm going to get up every day and believe this is the day God has made. I'm getting happy about it. I'm rejoicing. I'm, I'm satisfied. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm going to tell you something. Every one of you need to wake up and say, I am his favorite. And if you have siblings, they'll hate your guts. Well, how do you believe that? Because I believe everybody's God's favorite. He wouldn't have made you. Most people are afraid to admit it. I admit it every day. God loves me a whole heck of a lot more than anybody else. And that right there irritates some people. You need to look back and say, Mark, he loves me more than anybody else. I'd like to cheer you on. Yeah, he does. He loves us all. So when I talk about eternity, all I'm talking about is a very rapid, rapid transition from here to a place we call glory. You're not even going to know what happened. You're going to wake up one day and there are, there's not going to be United States Postal Service delivering you bills. There will be no email addresses in heaven. God's doing away with the internet and Al Gore's not happy. I mean, after all, it took him all that time to invent the internet and now God took it away. There won't be one thing in heaven that gives you and I an opportunity to sin. Not one thing. Why? Because God would never tempt us to sin. That's the devil's job, and he uses fear all the time. Now, turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider each other's better than yourselves. Our human nature is very self-centered. I want what I want, and once I get what I want, 
then I'll give you what you need or what you might want. Do you realize that's reversed in the kingdom? The reality is whatever you sow, you reap. If you make something happen for somebody else, God will make something happen for you. It's like the prophet that said, make me something to eat. And the little widow said, well, I'm about to take the last bit of oil I got and meal. I'm going to make us a last meal and my children and I are going to die. Now, I'm going to tell you, that prophet would be written up on the front page of USA Today. Today, You're asking this widow to make you something to eat when she's starving to death and she's going to have her last meal? That widow had a revelation that if I'll give to the prophet, God will provide for me. See, people withhold love because they haven't been loved and they think they're going to get love by pouting. You don't get love by pouting. You get love by giving. Well, you don't love me. Well, why don't you start loving them? If you'll start sowing love, you'll start reaping love. When you start sowing kindness, you'll start reaping kindness. You say, but I'm afraid, there we go again, the word afraid and fear, all synonymous. But I'm afraid if I do that, I'll get hurt. The only reason you'll get hurt is because you take your eyes off of Jesus in love. If somebody never loves you in return, you still have not failed in loving somebody. I know it's hard, and as I preach this, it preaches so much easier than it lives. But the words I'm sharing this morning, eternity, <clears throat> eternity or the end of the world won't even matter to you. Because you're so caught up with heaven on earth that you're not worried about going from earth to heaven. The reality is I don't, I don't ever think that much about the end of the world. I, I think about it only in terms of excitement, but I don't think about it because I'm not afraid of it. And the people who think more about it than even religious people are people who aren't religious because they're afraid they're not going to go there if it's real. And so they're looking to people in the church for answers, for comfort, for guidance, for information, for instruction. And if we are negative, defensive, questioning, they're never going to come around. They're only going to come around because you look at life and go, it really doesn't matter. I'm going to get up today and make the most that life has. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be proactive. I'm not going to be defensive. I'm not going to wait for someone else to fail so I can succeed. I'm going I'm to prop the person who fails up and say, go at it again. Get up and do this. You can do it. God hasn't quit on you. But most people live an emotional life, not a logical life, not thinking. What did Peter say? Wholesome thoughts, not wholesome feelings. Because if you think right, you'll feel right. You'll move right. You'll live right when you think right. The challenge is what we give our thoughts to. Now, hear me say this. We fight this every day. It goes on to say, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, being, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, this is the thing that, that I, want, I want to put out there. And, and those of you watching online understand that we're still 
in the COVID mode, and people are still responding that way, and I, I get that, no, no judgment. But the reality is, in my estimation, if we are not serving, we're losing, we're declining, we're not growing. Jesus took on servant clothing. He said that the least shall be the greatest, the servant of all. That's what we're called to do. And yet in our American world, and trust me, I like America, I love it, but we've lost our thought life to what we can possess instead of who possesses us. I'm not against having stuff, but I am against stuff having me. And when a decision is made based on stuff instead of the leading of the Holy Spirit, it never works out well. But the reality is fear, the greatest fear that people have is the fear of the unknown. And I believe, again, the reason that Jesus or God did not give us the answer to when he's returning is for us to put our faith in him because without faith we can't please him. So all God did, he's not being cruel by saying, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back. He's saying, I just want you to trust me. I want you to have faith in me. I want you to know I've got everything. It's going to be okay. But most people will take the known over the unknown. Listen to this story. There once was this criminal who had committed a crime because that's what criminals do. That's their job. Anyway, he was sent to the king for his punishment. The king told him he had a choice of two punishments. He could be hung by a rope. Or take what's behind the big, dark, scary, mysterious iron door. The criminal quickly decided on the rope. As the noose was being slipped on him, he turned to the king and asked, By the way, out of curiosity, what's behind the door? The king laughed and said, You know, it's funny, I offer everyone the same choice and nearly everyone picks the rope. So said the criminal, Tell me, What's behind the door? I mean, obviously, I won't tell anyone since I'm about to die. He said, pointing to the noose around his neck. The king paused and then answered, freedom. But it seems most people are so afraid of the unknown that they immediately take the rope. You know, most people don't want freedom. They want someone telling them what to do for fear that their decision is less than somebody they think is more intelligent than them. Let me tell you, life is not about intelligence. It's about obedience. You don't have to be smart to follow Jesus. You just have to be submitted and humble. Now, granted, you are smart if you follow him. But the reality is most people measure somebody else around them or their own life by how smart they are. How gifted, how talented, when in reality... God will use anybody who is willing and obedient to do great things. You know, I, I want to say this with all the respect I could say, and I hope it's not misunderstood, but I won't use his name, but there was a guy that worked for me many years ago that no way would he even be near the halfway point in his class. But when you talk to him, I mean, you could tell, wasn't well-educated, was naturally not brilliant, but spiritually he was a giant, 
a man that I still to this day deeply respect, not because of his book knowledge, not because of his grammar, but because he's so sold out to following Jesus, he'll do anything that he feels or thinks that God's asked him to do. I honor that. You say, is he always right on? No. But let me tell you something. He gets back up if he's wrong, dusts himself off and says, I'll do it again, God, if that's what you want. You see, when we think about eternity or end of the world, we shouldn't be fearful of what comes ahead or lies ahead. Our thoughts ought to be, have I simply obeyed God throughout my life? Because sometimes, can I just be real honest with you, you can ask Peter, you can ask John, you can ask Paul, you can ask Elijah, you can ask Moses. Was it always fun obeying God? No way. Sometimes it's just not fun. And let me tell you why it's not fun. Because God loves us so much that he brings opportunity into our life to crucify the flesh that typically guides us. Flesh is strong, man. Flesh is strong. And every day the flesh defies the spirit. And tries to convince us that being obedient to God, loving people who don't love us, being kind to people who aren't kind to us, forgiving, forgiving people who have wronged us. Doesn't match up in the human mind. So understanding takes the fear out of things. This is just number one point after three weeks. First point. Fear, understanding takes the fear out of things. So if I understand, let's just bring it this way, because some people say, well, I don't like to read. I'm not going to read the Bible. Let me say this. That if you can understand that when you give your life to Jesus, you're born again, you accept his forgiveness, you're going to heaven. Do you realize many people in churches throughout America and around the world still have not, they love God, but they're not sure God loves them. And they're not sure they're going to heaven because of what they've done or haven't done. And so they live their whole life in fear, wondering, am I going to heaven? And the fear that they possess seems righteous. Shouldn't we all be fearful about that? Shouldn't we all be thinking about that? No. We should be thinking about bringing heaven to earth, not us going from earth to heaven. If you are bringing heaven to earth through your love, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy, when Jesus decides to return, it's like you closed your eyes and you woke up in a brand new bedroom. And it'll be palatial. The reason I'm doing this series is to shift us out of fear. What's about to happen? What's going to happen now? we got a new president. What's going to happen? Some people think it's great. Some people think it's horrible. What's going to happen? Let me tell you what's going to happen. Whatever God says is going to happen is going to happen. You say, well, what is that? I can't tell you, but I can tell you you need to have faith. You need to pray. Because I know, I know at the end of the day for me, yeah, I think certain things should go. I mean, we're, we're responsible. We do all the things we can do. But once we've done all we can do, you got to just step back and say, here it is, God. I trust you. I've done all I know to do. Now I trust you. 
And you know what, God, every day that I wake up, if you want me to do something else, I'll do something else. What is it you want me to do? I'm not going to live my life in fear. I asked the worship team right before coming out, I said, what do you guys think? Let me ask you. Why, what do you think people are most afraid of? Dying? Flying? What are people most afraid of? Their response shocked me a little bit. These are millennials, or right on there. They said, I think most people are afraid of being ashamed, not death. Think about that just a moment, being ashamed. I have to live and put up with what people say about me. I have to live with my mistakes. Shame is a horrible thing. It causes you to live way below the destiny for which you were created. Jesse goes into prisons, preaches to murderers and all these. And, and the idea here is to say, you are not what you did. You are, you are who you were created to be regardless of what you did. Don't live your life in shame. Yeah, you made a mistake, but don't live under the shadow of that mistake. You'll never be happy or fulfilled. Your life may be a little different. You may never get out. Some of them were out after 17 years, 11 years, 7 years. Didn't know they would ever get out. But once they do, sitting under this pastor, they're prepared to face a world with different eyes than when they went in. They now see hope. That's what we're all called to be as hope dealers. We know people have made mistakes. There are people who want me to live in my past the rest of my life, but they just don't have, I'm oiled up. They can't hang on to me. I'm moving forward with the purpose for which I was called in my life. Not defiantly, not angrily, but I'm going to stand before God someday. And if one of my mistakes, if I use one of my mistakes as an excuse for disobedience, he's going to look and say, but I died for that. Why didn't you accept it? I was raised to cover that. Why didn't you get up and do what I, was, I called you to do? You see, I'm still being judged, as are you. People forget what you've done for them. They only remember what you've done to them. If we start looking at what people have done for us, what they've done to us will pale in comparison oftentimes, not all the time. But one of the ways I had to walk out of mine was I thought, I'm not boasting, but I remember having nearly 13,000 people at State Fair Arena and 900 plus people giving their life to Jesus. That's what I'm going to celebrate. I'm not going to focus on one moment of stupidity when I've had a moment uh, where I experienced God in ways many will never experience Him. Weeping like a baby on this massive stage at the State Fair Arena, watching 900 people give their life to Jesus. Don't let somebody put you in a cage. When they put you in a cage, they're encaging your destiny and your purpose. And there will always be people that want to keep you there so that you can be where they are because if they try to pull you down, all they're saying is come to my level. No, no. If we're going to go to anybody's level, we're going to the upper level. People don't ask for the first floor at a resort. They ask for the top floor. Why? They want to see the panoramic view of what God created. If you ask the first floor, you're extremely depressed. (laughs) Go for the penthouse. Go for the view. Well, you know. Now, here's what I know. 
the God I serve, <clears throat> my best days are ahead. My, my latter years will far exceed my former years. I don't care how good they were or how bad they were. My latter years are going to far exceed my former. I can't, there are things right now I can't touch or see when I say that. You say, well, how can you prove it? Because God said so. I'm going from glory to glory. I'm not going from mess to mess or stress to stress. I'm going from glory to glory. <clears throat> so you say, well, it doesn't look like it to me. Well, keep your eyes open and keep watching because one day you're going to wake up and you're going to see the glory of God. Now, it takes faith. And most people, even religious people and church people, would call you stupid. You're crazy. They're crazy. Don't go around them. They believe in things that they can't see. And I, I know I know of people that have been bankrupt that are millionaires today. Not just one time, two times. Broke, busted, and most people would quit disgusted. And they said, you know what? I ain't quitting. I ain't got nothing to lose, literally. I want to inspire us to believe that the more heaven we bring to earth, the more comfortable we'll be in heaven. And I want to be comfortable there. You know, I don't know how that's going to work because everybody there is saved. I, I, I know that God can't bring some little demons up, but wouldn't it be great if you had a demon to serve you? He knocks on the door, yeah, Mr. Crow. And then right after he serves you, you know, like kick him in the stomach or something, you know. Hit him in the mouth. You know, wouldn't that be great if God just let us exercise all of that, you know? I'm sure that was an unpure thought or impure thought. But it just hit me. <laughs> like I want to hit a demon. God, bring that little demon on to serve me. I'm going to make him mow my yard. And God, everywhere but my yard, make it a real moderate climate. But make it about 180 degrees in my yard with that little sucker's mowing. Then I'm going to take him out a hot cup of coffee, not water. Then we'll take my ball bat out when he's done. Wow, I'm having a moment. This could carry on. <laughs> Words from a very wise woman, Dolly Parton. God knows when the end time will come, not some fanatic. The world will end someday, but the end of the world and the end of time are two different things. There will be no end to the time. We will live forever. Maybe the end of the world, it's the beginning of bliss. Now, please hear this, because I know that most people don't want to hear a sermon about out of the book of Revelation. I, you notice I didn't go to Revelation, because if I preached out of Revelation and talked about the end of the world, nobody would come. Because Revelation scares most people to death. Matter of fact, most Christians have read the whole Bible except the book of Revelation. And it looks like something out of a Marvel, Marvel comic strip, you know. Here's what I want us to do, folks. Listen to me. I want us to get comfortable. And some people, well, you don't ever want to be comfortable. Give me a break. God says, I want to comfort you. Doesn't, when he comforts us, doesn't that make us comfortable? Yeah, you know, the, I grew up in a denominational church and pastors thrived on making people feel challenged they'd say something we didn't come here to comfort the afflicted we came here to afflict the comforted <laughs> really that's the church I want to go to I was having a great Saturday and an early Sunday morning till I came to your church and you afflicted me church is about bringing people into such a relationship with Jesus 
They can sleep while he drives. I'm, I, I always drive, but I'm married to a woman who can really drive. So when she drives, I can just go to sleep. I don't ever worry about it because I know she can handle it. So guess what? If I can go to sleep with her driving, another human being, why can't I sleep while God drives my life? Now, I, I, I know all the, the theological, because we're called to stay awake and be aware, right? Preachers always get this great pushback. You know, somebody had one great thought. But the reality is, what I'm talking about here is most people, because they, they blame God for all the bad things in their life, they're afraid to worship Him and embrace Him and accept Him because they're afraid. They think God caused all the problems in the world. God didn't cause all the problems in the world. He told us in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have challenges. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do stupid things. My stupid just draws me closer to Jesus, not farther away. The stupider I get or the stupid moment I have, I don't run from him. I run to him and say, this is why you died. That's all you need to do. When you make some stupid mistake, you're hung over on Sunday morning, and this is why you died. Now, see, you won't hear this at most churches because they want to make everybody think that Jesus really did turn water into Kool-Aid. Don't get mad at me. I'm just, I, I just want you to know God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. And anything that you suffer, any consequence, is the result of your decision, not his, because he doesn't want anybody to suffer. That's our choice. I grew up in a very scary religious environment. I didn't even want to go to church. I was so afraid of God. I was always trying to do right and still doing stupid, making mistakes. And, of course, religious people will always point out that mistakes. And if somebody ever did that to me nowadays, I'd look and say, you have no life, do you? The fact that you would even notice my mistake tells me you have no life. You're thinking about me, and I'm not worth being thought about. Now, I am worth being prayed for. But I want to say, let's embrace God, love God, let God love us. Quit getting up every day thinking about what you shouldn't do. Get up every day, look for the opportunities of the, for the things you can do. If you do nothing but pick a garment of clothing up off the ground with COVID, that's questionable nowadays. Susan and I, the other day, were out, and this guy had a baby, and he had a bunch of stuff, and they were all in, you know... And they dropped the little jacket from the baby. And, and, of course, we laughed about it. But what about COVID? I thought, to heck with it. I'm picking it up and giving it to him. If you want to burn it, burn it. I'm not going to quit being nice because of a virus. <laughs> well, God, there was a virus. I just didn't want to be nice. I didn't want to hug anybody, touch anybody. That's where my natural defiant disorder comes in. <laughs> Bible says lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. It doesn't say talk to them. I didn't write it. I just read it. Why do you think that is? God says if you touch them, something happens when you touch somebody. That's how come touch is so critical. And let me tell you something. You can think I'm a conspiracy theorist if you want, but a part of the demonic ploy of the virus is to keep us from being together and touching one another. Didn't say it wasn't real. Didn't say it wasn't real. Don't get mad at me. I'm just saying... 
There is a demonic ploy behind every demonic virus. I know, I'll probably get cards and letters. Don't waste your time, I'm too old to care. (laughs) I'm just saying, the reality is we are so PC that we've lost our minds. I was going to look and say, anyway, I want us, if you say, I'm afraid of God, don't be afraid of God. God's your greatest ally. Nobody gives up their only begotten son to suffer and die for all the sins of mankind unless he's a great God. God loves you. God loves you. And we need to look at the positive things, the good things. Everybody's got problems. Everybody makes mistakes. We just have to look and say, you know, I've done that too. Don't throw rocks. Because let me tell you, if you don't kill that Goliath, he'll throw them back at you. So before you start throwing stones and casting stones, remember the little story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus simply said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And guess what? Nobody could throw one. And I believe they went away angry, not redeemed. It would have been great if they would have said, Jesus, forgive us. We really wanted to stone her. That would have been the ultimate. But they went away angry and sad that they couldn't stone a lady who sinned differently than them. If we as a people could trust God with love, his love for us, our love for him, and our love for one another, the world would be an awesome place. The reason we don't love is because we don't know that we are loved. When you know that you are loved, you can always love. That's the life I want to live. It's the way I want to finish. Haven't always been there, but I want to be there. And I'm going to work the rest of my life to go from glory to glory, love to love, grace to grace, mercy to mercy. Because I believe it may take a little longer, but love never fails. It just doesn't. And I know that there are a million questions when I say that. Well, my kid's an idiot. What do I do? Yeah, still give him a curfew. (laughs) I used to tell my kids nothing good happens after midnight, and I was 100% right. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness. Everything that comes from heaven. And Lord, I thank you today that we're going to go from here, but more importantly, we're going to grow from here. And Lord, I I pray that you would help us see the good, see the positive. We're not denying reality. We are just elevating supernatural power over that reality, a supernatural reality that exceeds and overshadows the natural reality. Things may look bad today, but Lord, I know your mercies are new every morning. So Lord, I thank you today for creating faith and hope in the hearts of everyone watching and everyone listening. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I think sometimes when I make this appeal for you to be saved or turn your life back to trusting God there's immediately this challenge of feeling condemned how could God love me and that's not possible and 
But I want to tell you today from the bottom of my heart that we live to exalt Him and to exalt Him in other people. To make His name known so that He can be known because most people fear the unknown. Today, don't choose the rope. Don't hang yourself. Behind that scary, dark door is the promise of heaven that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want everyone to pray this prayer with me, especially those of you watching online, because the devil will even tell you, well, you're too lazy to even get up and go to church. Yeah, but you weren't too lazy to turn on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is you're watching from. You weren't too lazy to do that. And let me tell you, you're, you can be just as saved in your apartment, in your house, in the jail cell, wherever you are, as if you were in this church by simply professing faith in Jesus Christ. I want everyone to pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to suffer on, on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. And I declare today, I am saved. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to text the word SAVED and your name to 405-500-1310. 405-500-1310. And just say SAVED and your name. We're so happy for you and celebrate with you. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.